Well, I guess since we're not doing the live stream, we could just get going. Oh, why not? We're all here, right? I think so. <laughs> that means nice. it works. Yes. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Happy Friday. I am Kimberly Adams. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where we make today make sense. And I'm Amy Scott, in for Kai Rizdahl. Thanks so much for joining us for Economics on Tap. And for those of you wondering, the live stream will be back next week on YouTube. We were giving the folks managing the live stream a little bit more time off for the holidays. And the they are all coming back soon, and it's going to be amazing. So, meantime, let's talk about drinks. Amy, what are you drinking? Well, Kimberly, I am drinking a canned cocktail, as I often do when pressed for time. <laughs> this is a gin crush, <laughs> lemon and lime flavored. Um, you know, a little skinny little can. They don't taste bad. How about you? Good. Uh, sort of the same. I am also drinking a canned spirit-free cocktail, or as it says on nice. the can, mocktail, because I'm doing dry January. And so mine is also in a skinny little can. Uh, it's called a Capri Spritz, and it has pomegranate, cranberry shrub, and lemongrass. It's quite tasty. I've been trying all of these different mocktails and spirit-free cocktails and non-alcoholic wines and things uh, over the last two weeks, and I'm going... I think next weekend to like a non-alcoholic drinks festival uh, that they're doing here in D.C., which should be cool. Um, but uh, I did get a couple of mocktail recipes already from folks who've sent them in. So thank you. Keep them coming. I have another, what, oh, nice. 18 days of this dry January to get through. So Yes, yeah, so what I happens be... on February 1st? <laughs> I mean, I don't do you, think do I'm going to Do you tend to like, like ease back into it or... Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like a health reset. You want to just like check in with yourself, make sure you're healthy, make sure that you can comfortably stop drinking when you want to. And so yeah. like lower the tolerance, all of these things. And so I'll ease back into it, you know, but, um, you know, I'll, don't worry, I'll be back with my full complement of cocktail skills come February. Uh, but uh, I doubt I'll like go on a binge <laughs> as soon as I get back. Well, I especially some of these since... recipes. I remember having one of your little mocktail cans when I was in the D.C. Bureau and you were out of town, <laughs> I raided the fridge and sure enough, you had provided. Thank you. Yes. Well, I actually did right, go to a mocktail-making class the other day. Well, I went oh to a mocktail-making class the other you day and we educated. did make our own recipes. I'm trying. I like to expand my skill set. But yes, let's uh, do the news. You go first. Okay, yeah, I should because mine is more enraging. I think we're going to have more fun. <laughs> So this has been getting a lot of attention the past couple of days, but I want to talk about it here um, because I'm uh, There's been okay. some excellent reporting in the last several years showing how executives at Exxon Mobil knew and have known since the late 1970s that fossil fuels could cause global warming with dramatic environmental effects. Um, and I should say other companies in the oil and gas and auto industries knew it too, and yet publicly downplayed or denied the dangers. Well, a new paper published this week in the journal Science shows just how much Exxon knew. Researchers at Harvard University and the Potsdam Institute for Climate Impact uh, Research in Germany looked at the company's own global warming projections and found them to be extremely accurate. 
Um, so not not only did they knew, but they knew very specifically what the burning of fossil fuels would do to the planet. Um, looking at the graph <sighs> is really eerie. ExxonMobil's average projected warming was two-tenths of a degree Celsius per decade, which was pretty much in line with what academic and government scientists were projecting at the same time between 1977 and 2003. And, you know, <laughs> what's what's really upsetting about it, and I'm, I'm just going to quote from the article here, is, but whereas those scientists worked to communicate what they knew, ExxonMobil worked to deny it, including overemphasizing uncertainties, denigrating climate models, mythologizing global cooling, feigning ignorance about the discernibility of human-caused warm warming, and staying silent about the possibility of stranded fossil fuel assets in a carbon-constrained world. Um, it's pretty damning stuff. And I think, you know, as you know, there have been lots of lawsuits brought by cities and counties and state governments against the company to try to hold it accountable for climate damages. And I think you know, this is adds fodder to that argument. But I mean, the scale of the damage is so severe. Like, what does accountability even look like for something like this? Yeah. Well, I mean, just this week, we we learned that 2022 had um, 18 billion dollar weather events. So, you know, every year they come out with with how many billion dollar weather or climate events happen in the U.S., which we know are made worse by global warming. There were 18 in 2022, resulting in the deaths of 474 people. Um, and those 18 events are more than twice the annual average since 1980. So, yeah, the costs are staggering, The both the costs, you know, economic and financial costs, and, of course, the cost of human life. So... It will be interesting yeah. to see what accountability could look like and what difference it could make at this point. Yeah, and that's just in the United States, you know, not even right. considering the impact yep. on the rest of the planet. Exactly. Okay, well, extra so, hard to cheer us up, here. Kimberly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, uh, I will just say that, you know, the shows make me smart. I was made much smarter this week about a group of people that I have learned I will never, ever in my life try to cross, which is the Dungeon <laughs> Masters from people who do Dungeons & Dragons. Because, my goodness, when those folks get together, they can do something. So I was first flagged to this story by A. Loanika Miller, who is a podcaster that does this show, um, Tabletop Journeys, about Dungeons and & Dragons and a bunch of the other, you know, TTRPG games and all these things like that. And Wait, apparently, remind me what TTRPG is? I know role-playing games. now I have to. But... I know. I know role-playing games. I'm now sorry. I Thanks a lot, Amy. I, it's got to be yeah, tabletop, God. right? It's tabletop. Oh, thank you, Drew. Role-playing games. Thank you, God. Duh. Okay, got it. Thank you, Drew. Tabletop role-playing games. Right. So, apparently, and this has been written up. I believe the story was first broken by Gizmodo. Is that the company that owns Dungeons and Dragons um, wanted to change the gaming license? that covers Dungeons and Dragons. Now, right now, Dungeons and Dragons is under an open gaming license. And I'm reading from Gizmodo here. Um, 
It's a document that allows a vast group of independent publishers to use the basic game rules, right? Now, Mm -hmm. they are the owner, Wizards of the Coast, wanted there was a leaked draft of new updates to this license that would, as according to Gizmodo, significantly restrict the kind of content allowed, and it required anyone making money under the license to report their products to the Wizards of Coast directly and um, potentially pay them royalties. And man, hmm. these folks got <laughs> And so fans revolted they organized and there was a huge backlash and i'll um i'll read and uh (laughs) it um basically says let's see i'm trying to get to this one second so he sent me this uh story from forbes that said it attempts to shut down earlier licenses to stop the production of materials for an earlier edition of the game after years of having a laid-back attitude towards third-party production of Dungeons & Dragons products. The new license, shown in the leak, would indicate that the party is over and Hasbro, which owns Wizards of the Coast, wants a bigger say Mm. in what can be made for their game. Since then, <laughs> and as is mentioned in Ars Technica, amid widespread backlash, D&D Maker scales back the open license changes. The license will remain royalty-free, and earlier content will remain unaffected because those oh, folks wow. were quite vocal. Yeah, they basically toned it way down, apparently. And so uh, the company... the. The company said that they were circulating the draft to get feedback from the fans and the community and that this is, you know, an ongoing process, but it definitely got people very riled up. So note to everyone, do not cross the Dungeons and Dragons, folks. They will come for you. Noted. Wow. But what a story (laughs) of the power of the people. I mean, obviously, they really rely on this avid customer base. Um, yeah, I'm looking here. At the I, I just had no idea. Piece. I mean, I grew up in the 80s. My brother and mm-hmm. I played D&D, you know, I just I so had you're no idea. Than me. I've never actually played this. it. Yeah, well, I couldn't remember how to do it if you asked me, but I remember enjoying it and feeling like one of the big kids when my brother let me play. With the <laughs> yeah, multi-sided die. At this Ars Technica piece, it says, As of Friday morning, an open letter from the hashtag OpenDND organizing group had claimed over 66,000 signatures demanding at Wizards of the Coast, demanding that Wizards of the Coast revoke the draconian 1.1 OGL open gaming license and pledge to support the existing 1.0 OGL into future editions of the game. And some... Uh, Popular tabletop gaming influencer Ginny D had also urged fellow players to cancel their D&D Beyond subscriptions, uh, which reportedly temporarily crashed the services subscription management page for some. I mean, <laughs> they, they went after them. Wow. This is cool. It makes yeah, me want to cool. dive back in and learn a little bit more about this game. I feel like Drew maybe knows stuff that he could tell us. Do you know how to play it, Drew? No. Do not know anything. <laughs> you can just he just sorts out acronyms better than us. Okay. Since we are talking about a game, let's play our game. Yeah. 
Okay, our game is not tabletop. It's virtual, but we still love it anyway. It's half full, half empty. And it's a game where our very own Drew Jostad gives us the news topics, and we tell you how we're feeling about them. And so, Drew, roll the die. Let's go. This week, we learned that CNET has been publishing articles written by AI and edited by humans since November. Are you half full or half empty? Oh, dear. Were they disclosing <laughs> the it or just Mike. doing it? Uh, I think they were, like, labeling them with a certain byline, and then if you looked up what does this byline mean, they're like, this was written with the assistance of AI. But it, I don't know if it was exactly, like, broadcast. Yeah, Kimberly, you were about to say. I think there's a reason that everybody was surprised to find out about it <laughs> this week. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm half empty. Um, a, because I like my job and I'd like to keep it. Uh, but B, <laughs> also because from everything I've seen of the, the new AI tools, they're very good at sounding like people, but not so great at being accurate you know they can kind of say whatever they want to say and human editors are great but if you're not starting with a product generated from a, at least a, a fundamental desire to be accurate uh, I that gives me a lot of concern for the information that's getting put out there even though I'm sure the CNET editors are amazing and great and catch all sorts of problems I don't think this is the healthiest way for us to be getting information, especially given that the databases that train a lot of these AIs don't necessarily always have the best inputs. Yeah, absolutely. I'm half empty as well for the same reason, but also I just want to acknowledge I can understand the temptation. You know, like if, if you're a reporter and you start with a blank page, it would be so nice to have a draft just show up that you edit, like, you know, some words to work with. But if you haven't done the actual reporting and then the editor, you know, maybe hasn't done the actual reporting but just knows the topic generally, how do you ensure accuracy? We have so many nuanced conversations with our editors about why a certain word choice is wrong or right or why we can't mm -hmm. cut this or, you know, uh, use this synonym. I just I think so much gets lost. So I, I might be like full on empty here because I want to <laughs> be able to trust what I read. Well, and also, like, where if, if you're getting the information from whatever the input is, right, whatever data these AI might be pulling from, that means it's pre-existing information. So how do you then grow and learn and find out new things if the generate, generative AI is generating content that's based on existing content? Half of what we do is try to find out new things or how things are moving forward <laughs> right. or changing. Anyway, right. that's a it's longer not already discussion. There. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. That's a good one, though. Thanks. What else, Drew? Are you half full or half empty on the new memoir from Prince Harry? Oh, geez. Half bored. How about you? Eh? <laughs> <laughs> that needs to be a new category. Half bored. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, go for it. Well, I was just going to say, I haven't read it. I won't read it. I've read lots of writing about it, <laughs> maybe some of it generated by AI. I mean, you know, I think it's probably a good thing to hold people accountable for their behavior, and the royal family is no exception. And I'm not much of a confessional uh, 
person myself, so it's hard to imagine, like, putting it all out there. But I don't know. I mean, I think this couple went through some horrible stuff, and, you know, it's probably good to talk about it. I'm just tired of the, the constant coverage. Yeah, I'm... I'm going to go half full just because I support what people need to do for their own mental health uh, and accountability is um, important, like you said. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm, I can't imagine, like, quite putting all my business out there on blast like that. But, you know, they are yeah. <laughs> very, very public figures. Um, and, you know, people do what they need to do. I also do not plan to read it, I'm sure. I'll get most of the information without even trying from, you know, secondary coverage. But, yeah, I, I <laughs> just don't engage on that very much. Yeah. Drew, what about you? Are you going to read it? No. That's another no from me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Next topic. <laughs> the- At least Drew is very... Sorry. Definitive in his answers. <laughs> yes. Sorry. Go yes, ahead. Very well, you uh, you yep. luckily asked me yes or no questions. <laughs> the office of the director of national intelligence said this week that 366 new cases of unidentified aerial phenomena have been reported since March 2021. Are you half full or half empty? Half full. Kai and I were talking about this earlier this week. I want to know about <laughs> all of the phenomena. Something like a phenomenon. Anyway, um, yeah, I'm not full. I think it's interesting. I know a lot of it's probably like trash and debris and drones, but who knows? Maybe it's something else more interesting that we'll find out. What about you, Amy? Oh, yeah. I'm half full, too. I mean, it's fascinating. We went to the Roswell, you know, UFO museum a couple summers ago, and I was fully (laughs) engrossed. So I were you convinced? I wonder what it is. Well, no. I mean, I'm such a skeptic, but, uh, you know, I may be convinced of cover-ups. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that might Oops. be a whole other show. Yes. The conspiracy theories that Marketplace reporters actually believe in. <laughs> <laughs> Tonight at 6. <laughs> that will be, right. you know, w- after dry January. We'll, <laughs> we'll talk about that. Yeah, we'll have green alien-themed drinks. All right, Drew, what else? (laughs) An FAA computer issue delayed thousands of flights this week. Are you half full or half empty on the current state of air travel? (laughs) (laughs) All the way empty, my goodness. Uh, It's a disaster, man. But it's so funny. Did you see the Delta earnings? No. I mean, some of the airlines are doing just fine, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, They probably benefited from Southwest debacle. Probably. Uh, So I'm going to say I'm empty. um, But on the other hand, so no, I guess, yeah, I'm half empty, not all the way empty. Because by revealing all of these problems, perhaps things will actually get fixed. Yeah, I think that's good. Uh, a good point. And with the FAA, I mean, it's, you know, it's a good thing to ground travel when a major safety system is failing. Um, I am a little biased here because I was part of the Southwest diaspora of people who were stuck places. And we had to drive uh, 13 hours from San Antonio to Colorado Springs to see my folks for the holidays. And, um, you know, in the storm, I'm a little, I'm still a little bummed. 
No, the weather was actually fine. It was the scheduling software. You know, it was. Yeah. It was uh, that we were down a flight attendant. By the time they found one, the captain had timed out. Three other captains showed up, wanted to fly, but they would have timed out eventually in 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 the process. So. We rented a car and drove because we would have been stuck in San Antonio for at least three days, probably more. Wow. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel everybody's pain who's dealt with this, and uh, I hope they figure it out. Did you get your refund yet? Um, no. We got some miles <laughs> <laughs> to fly on Southwest. Still waiting for some compensation. Okay. And I want to say, you know, we were the lucky ones. We could afford to put our kids in a hotel that night. We could afford to rent a car. There was someone behind me that was too young to legally rent a car. And she was just beside herself, you know, what, what she was going to do. And and so I, uh, it was a good opportunity for our kids to learn about relative privilege. And we're lucky we get to fly anywhere. But it, it was an ordeal, for sure. Wow. That must have been awful. Okay, Drew, do we have another topic so we can end on not quite such a downer? We got one more. <laughs> Starting March 1st, Disney CEO Bob Iger wants his employees back in the office four days a week. Are you half full or half empty on going to the office that much? Amy, I'll let you go first. <laughs> oh, I was totally wanting you to go first. Um, but yes, I will, and I'm going to say I'm half full. Um you know, I went to the office last week <laughs> for the first time in a while. My calendar still said March 2020, if that tells you anything. This is my office here in Baltimore wow. at WYPR. And it was nice to see people. And I think if you work in a creative industry, I can understand the thinking that, um, you know, people really create and are inspired when they're together and they have happenstance encounters. I also understand that flexibility is really important for a lot of people. Um, and... Uh, that's why I guess I would say I'm half full because I think there is a lot to be said for not having to commute, uh, being around when, you know, a kid suddenly gets sick and you can keep an eye on them, you know, while you're working. All that stuff is, is really important that, that's been revealed by the pandemic. And, and I just hope employers can provide some flexibility for people. I'm half empty. I think we probably are going to go back to some kind of you know, more in the office than we have been. But I four days a week feels a lot for sort of these jobs that don't necessarily have to be in person. I say this while recognizing that there are so many jobs in this economy that never had any remote work option and never will. But, right. um, you know, let me just say, like, maybe for environmental benefits, you know, mm. let's make sure that the people that we are requiring to go into offices actually have to be there. And But the creativity argument is a, is a big one. Um, and I get the need for collaboration and stuff. So I'm, you know, glad not to be the one to have to make those decisions. But sorry for <laughs> folks at Disney. The, maybe their office will be the happiest place on Earth. <laughs> Hey, nice. <laughs> All right. We are done for today. Uh, I will be off for the next two weeks because vacations are important and you should take them. Uh, but Kai Absolutely. and Amy will be back on Tuesday after the after the Monday holiday. And uh, so I guess I will see y'all in a couple weeks, audibly at least. Oh, I'm excited for you, Kimberly. 
Don't think about this place. If you have a question, listeners, that you'd like me to answer for What Do You Want to Know Wednesday, me and Kai, uh, related to housing or business in the economy, whatever it is, send us what you got. We're at 508-UB-SMART or email makemesmart at marketplace.org. Make Me Smart is produced by Courtney Bergseeker. Today's episode was engineered by Drew Jostad, who also wrote the theme music to Half Full, Half Empty. Antonio Barreras is our intern. The team behind our Friday game is Mel Rosenberg, Emily McCune, and Antoinette Brock. Welcome, Antoinette. Marissa Cabrera is our acting senior producer. Bridget Bodner is the new director of podcasts. And Francesca Levy is the executive director of digital going to spend my vacation trying out mocktails and spirit-free cocktails and such and sitting on the couch. It's going to be cool. I want your recipes. I will write them up for you. Thanks. Thank you. We all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey. From experimenting with alternative medicine. I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist and never really thought about the cost. To splurging on fast fashion. I'm spending like all my tips. I was definitely spending like $200 a week. I'm Rima Hreis, host of Marketplace's This Is Uncomfortable. This season, we explore the cost of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts.